My brothers and sisters in Christ, we are beginning a new year, 2024, and I thought it appropriate as we turn the page of the calendar, so to speak, to just take a Lord's Day, take stock of where we have come from, but also especially to think about where we're going in this new year. I know many of you are familiar with making New Year's resolutions. I don't know if that's your practice. Uh, Some Christians do make this a practice, especially to refocus themselves, for example, on spiritual disciplines, making a commitment throughout the year, perhaps in your prayer life, of how you're going to pray every day, or perhaps in your devotional life, what you're going to read, perhaps in your study of the Bible, a particular reading plan. Or maybe it's something else in your life, whether it's many people turning to exercise. I'm going to uh, do this uh, type of exercise every day, or eat this food, or not eat this other food. Mm-hmm in an attempt throughout the year to discipline their bodies and their minds. Well, as Christians, I do believe that there is one particular resolution that you and I must make this year. And I think it's fitting that we start off 2024 by learning what the Bible says of how to commit our lives every single day, in a sense, to renewing this resolution. There is a resolution that is good. There is a resolution that's not just good, but actually you must make this resolution as a Christian. If you don't make this resolution, if you don't have this perspective that the Bible is showing you, then I'm afraid you can't really make it through the end of this life, not without any true hope anyway. All of us in this world are walking through a darkness, And we're all looking for some light at the end of the tunnel. And we need the proper perspective of where is that light? Where is that hope coming from? In our text today, Psalm 90, the psalmist gives us the proper perspective that we need, especially for this year, but really throughout our entire lives. What is going to be our guiding light through this life that is very short? What is going to be our guiding light through perhaps a tunnel of darkness when the world besets us with temptation and even um, heinousness of sin and darkness. Well, the psalmist is going to teach us the proper resolution for our lives, indeed the proper perspective that we need to have as Christians, if we're going to make it, so to speak, with uh, this life that the Lord has given to us. So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles, to Psalm 90, as this will be our opening sermon text of this year, Lord willing, not just going into this week, but every single day of 2024, I want you to go back and remember what the psalmist is teaching us here of how we are to live and die as Christians with this resolution. Psalm 90, we'll be looking at uh, this afternoon. It's also printed for you, I believe, in your bulletin. Psalm 90. But hear now the word of the Lord. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, From everlasting to everlasting, you 
our God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Praise God for his holy word. Indeed, a good word to start 2024. Although, I have to say, Psalm 90, perhaps you're familiar, this is a psalm that is often preached at funerals. So perhaps uh, a somber way to start off the year, but Lord willing, will not only be humbled through this psalm, but by the end of it, I pray that you will be filled with hope what it means to live as Christians, a true hope that people around us who do not know the gospel do not have, walking in darkness and very short lives. And so, friends, I think the main idea that I want us to walk away with from this somber yet hopeful psalm is very simply this. It's pretty much taken right out of the text. Life is short. Death is certain. But ask God to teach you to count your days. If I was just to sum it up, really, even shorter than that, I'd just point to verse 12 here. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. But in my own words, life is short. Death is certain. Ask God to teach you to count your days. I think the psalmist here, Moses, has four main portions or parts to the psalm. I put this in the outline in the bulletin. And we'll just be walking through these four points this afternoon as we listen to Moses through the Holy Spirit, the right perspective that we have going into this year. And life is short. Death is certain. Ask God to teach you to count your days. Now, as I said, and if you probably noticed here at the very top and called the inscription, it tells us here who wrote this psalm. It's Moses, uh, the man of God. It's interesting because this is probably the earliest psalm ever written, even though it's almost in the middle of the Psalter. Uh, This is the earliest psalm. All the other psalms are written 
well after Moses, right? David wrote many of the Psalms. David comes many generations after Moses, Korah, Asaph, all well after Moses. Um, So this is perhaps the earliest Psalm in the Psalter. And we know that Moses, however, wrote two other songs, not in the Psalter. Exodus 15, for example, Moses wrote as a song of praise when Israel was delivered out of Egypt. He uh, sang this song praising God for deliverance. But the other is Deuteronomy 32. Moses also has another song of praise, asking God for his blessing as the next generation prepares to enter the promised land. Now, we don't have the specific historical setting and context of this psalm, but I think we can get a basic idea of what's going on here. Scholars are kind of divided here on what is probably the context. Some say Moses wrote this in Exodus 32. Now, you know that incident, Exodus 32. That's the incident with the golden calf, right? Moses has gone on the mountain. People get worried. They ask Aaron to make this golden calf, and they bow down to it. And then Moses comes back, and he's angry, righteously angry, and he's upset. And it could have been that Moses wrote this in response. Because in our text, you'll see, he talks about God's wrath several times, and how men, people, are faced against God's wrath, and how their lives are uh, uh, cut down so quickly. But I think a more likely context for this psalm is Numbers 20. Because in Numbers 20, as you may remember, Moses, at that point, meets death sort of face-to-face several times. Uh, This is a psalm that confronts death face-on, and Moses was confronted with death face-on many times in his life, especially in Numbers 20. Why? Numbers 20, first of all, is when when Miriam, uh, Moses' sister, dies. He's confronted with the death of his own sister there. But also number two in in Numbers 20, you remember, Moses, in his sin, struck that rock in order to bring water from that rock against God's command, actually. And because of that, as you remember, God judged Moses for his disobedience. And God cursed Moses, so to speak, and said, now Moses, you will not enter the promised land. You'll die in the wilderness with this generation. Moses, in Numbers 20, is confronted with his own, his own death, essentially. But also, Moses, one other thing, Numbers 20, confronted with the death of his own brother, Aaron. Uh, Aaron is uh, uh, dies in Numbers 20 as well. And so Moses personally faces death with God's condemnation. He has family who die around him, but he also, of course, has known corporately uh, the, the church, as it were, in the wilderness that would die off in that generation for this disobedience. I think that's the likely context of this psalm. We don't know for sure. Whatever the specific context, we know. Moses was very familiar with the shortness of life, that death is certain, God's judgment against sin is death. Man is a fragile being, and sin cuts short human life. But those who seek refuge in an eternal God have hope. And that's the first point that I really want us to see here. But if you're going to have the right perspective to live with a Christian resolution this year, 
that's going to see you through the darkness of life, the first thing Moses tells us to think about, to know, is God's eternality. God's eternality in verses 1 and 2. Look there again. Moses says here, Lord, you have been our dwelling place, which could also be translated as refuge or shelter or even home. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Interesting, just pause there, because for 40 years, Moses and those people in the wilderness, they had no home, right? They are journeying towards the promised land. But for 40 years, they have no permanent dwelling place. And prior to that, God's people had no dwelling place. In Egypt, that was not their home. They were persecuted. They suffered in Egypt. Prior to that, Abraham had no home, right? He left Haran and was wandering as a pilgrim. Isaac, Jacob, sons also had no permanent home as pilgrims. And yet, when Moses pens this psalm, Israel having no earthly home, yet Moses can say here in this confession, they do have a dwelling place. Their refuge, Moses says, is the Lord. As throughout all of Israel's history, God has been a home to Israel certainly isn't Egypt. It isn't even going to be the promised land towards which they're journeying. It's not going to be the temple that is their home. Moses is reminding them and us, our true home, our true refuge, our true dwelling place is in God himself. This is where we find security. This is where we find comfort. This is where we find peace and a permanent dwelling. Now, why? Why is the Lord a permanent dwelling place. Well, Moses tells us there in verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, he says, or born, it could also be translated, or ever you had uh, formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And why is God a dwelling place? Because he is eternal. Everlasting to everlasting. God has no beginning he has no end. Notice here the, the creation language. In a poetic way, Moses says God birthed creation, meaning he was before all things, right? He is above time, but he also controls time. Right? Here's a distinction between God, the creator, and everything else, the creation. And so as an eternal God... He also does not change. Right? He has no beginning, he has no end. There is no beginning to his love. There's no end to it. There's no beginning to his justice or an end to it. He is omnipresent everywhere. He is also all-knowing. He is also all-powerful. These things never change because he is an everlasting God. It's important to notice this, important to stop and think about it, because, friends, God is not just a better version of you or me. He's not just an exalted human being who doesn't fail as much as you or I do. He's not just an exalted human who is growing more and more wise or more and more holy. No, he's completely different in that sense. He's set apart from us. He alone is everlasting. And that is why he is worthy to be your home or your refuge or your dwelling place. 
important to stop and think about that because as we move into this new year and we think about where is my refuge, you need to remember that to trust in anything else, to look to anyone else for refuge is foolish. You will find no better refuge than in this eternal, unchangeable God. Everything else in this world is created by God, from God. Therefore, everything else in this world is subject to change, right? It's things that you might put your trust in, whether you know it or not. They're either going to grow weaker, less powerful, or they're going to have an end point at some time. Anything else in creation will change. It'll get bigger or smaller, weaker or more powerful. And so, friends, we need to remember as God's people today, as we pilgrimage through this year, just as God's people here are pilgrim people, no permanent dwelling on this earth, we need to remember that just as that generation journeyed, that their refuge had always been God, and we too always need to remember that God is our refuge and strength from generation to generation. He is our house, not some piece of land, not even a physical temple. He himself is our refuge. I think so many of our fears, so many of your anxieties and mine would subside, would shrink if we just gazed even more and more on that eternal God. And the more you meditate on who he is, how big he is, how vast he is, the more your fears would subside. So your life is short. What is going to ground you? What is going to give you the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, in this life? Well, it's the unchanging and eternal God who is your dwelling place. He is your home. He'll never fail you. He is your light. That's the first thing that I think that Moses wants us to take away here as we think about what is the right perspective to have in life. God is eternal. He's everlasting to everlasting. But then it's interesting here in the second part, in verses 3 through 6, Moses makes this contrast, right? God's eternality, but then there's also man's fragility. Notice this. Again, if we're to anchor our lives the right view of God, we actually need to see ourselves in the right light of who we are. This is what Moses says in verses 3 through 6. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. And just notice that, especially the grass image here. You know, in the Middle East, the Middle East is a desert, right? Where Moses is writing this. A grass is very sparse. But in the Middle East, when they have a nice downpour of rain, they can have a carpet of grass sprout up pretty much overnight. Nice green grass that comes. But as you know, in the Middle East, when that blazing sun comes out the next day, scorching the grass, uh, that grass can wither and die in the next day. Is here in a moment, gone tomorrow. And God says, your days are like that grass. 
gone in a moment. So you see, while God does not change, he has no beginning or end. We do. We do. You and I are born. You and I grow. You and I learn. We work. We get stronger for a period of time. And then our bodies begin to grow weaker. We get more tired, more frail. Our memories fade. Your body will begin to fail you. You'll get old. You'll die. Your days are numbered. That's what Moses is telling you here. Death is a reality. We're here today and gone tomorrow. Now, notice here he talks about in the psalm, uh, just a little bit later, we might have 70 or 80 years. Now, I don't know about you, that seemed like a long time to me at one point in life. <laughs> but I'm halfway there, and it seems like it's coming quick now. It's really not that long. In the larger scheme of things, it's no longer than the grass of life. Psalmist says here, Moses says it, God will sweep away the days of our lives like a flood, like a dream. How many times have you woken up in the morning? It's such a vivid dream. Ah, you're still thinking about it when you wake up. Then you get some breakfast, you start getting ready for work or school or whatever, and then you can barely remember what that dream was like, no matter how vivid it was, no matter how powerful. That's what your life is like. Your life is short. Death is certain. I once heard it put this way by Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon told this story once about an eagle and a hawk. Uh, there was a, an eagle that was attacking this hawk, right? This hawk had swooped through a lake and scooped up a fish in its claws. As it was coming out of the water, carrying this fish upward, the eagle attacked and the hawk dropped this fish in the air. And the eagle is so fast, extremely fast bird, that as they fought and the fish fell, the eagle was able to swoop extremely fast over the water and grab the fish in its beak and fly away with it before it hit the water. Because the speed of the eagle is really, really hard to fathom. It's, it's incredibly fast. You see it and it's gone. And that is how our life is. See, it's like an eagle that is speeding along to its prey, not just flying in an ordinary way, but it's like an eagle speeding toward its prey. Life appears to be speeding to its end, and death seeks the body like its prey. Death is too swift to be outrun. The eagle overtakes its prey, and so shall death. You see, death is coming swiftly to any one of us, just like that eagle. It will overtake us before we know it. And friends, we might, not like to take, we might not like to talk about it. I know that especially in China, death is a very taboo subject, so perhaps I'm making several of you very uncomfortable, I don't know. But the brevity of life, the shortness of it, the reality of death is something that should humble us. You and I know so very little about this world. You and I are not in control of this world. The fact is that you and I are not really in control of so much of our lives. We think we are, 
but we're really not. That's what Moses is reminding us of here. The fact is that any one of us could have our lives taken from us today or tomorrow. The more you meditate on the shortness of your life, the reality of death, the eternality of God, the more you'll realize how small and fragile you are, but just how awesome God is. That's what Moses wants us to do here. He wants you to hear these words, to pause and meditate on your life, to be humbled by how short it is, be humbled that you're not in control, but God is in control. He knows all things. He never weakens. He never tires. He never sleeps. He never fails. He rules not just this world, but he even reigns over life and death itself. Death has nothing over God. It has something over us, as we'll see in just a second. But we should be humbled that God is not like us. He kills and makes alive, and he is the absolute power over all creation. So notice, meditate on your fragility as a human being. But then Moses brings us into this uh, this point a little bit further here in verses 7 through 12. So he's, he's bringing us to humble ourselves under our own fragility, to really be struck by the shortness of life and how fleeting it is. But then he wants to take you deeper into why that is. Why are our lives so short? Notice this in verses 7 through 12. Your death is certain, my death is certain, but did you notice why it is certain? Why do people die? It's because of sin. Very simple. Moses makes this direct connection between death and sin. All of our days pass away under God's wrath. Notice this as I read through verses 7 through 11. Just how many times Moses mentions wrath or anger. Verse 7, For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Now I count five times where Moses says anger or wrath here. It points us to the truth that sin is the cause of death in the end. You know, it's common in our day. It's, it's important to point this out because it's common in our day for many people to believe that death is natural. Have you heard that before? Death is a natural occurrence. It occurs to everybody, right? Everybody's going to die someday. It's natural. That's not true. It's not true. Death is not natural. Now, I don't know about in China, but in many places in the West today, when people die, especially non-Christians, they have something, not a funeral, but a celebration of life. What that's turning us away from is the reality that death is a curse. It is not natural. Death is a curse because of sin. We mourn when someone dies because it is the last evidence 
of sin when that person left us. We also mourn when someone dies because it's natural to cry when you lose someone, isn't it? But death is not natural. And people who deny the afterlife, they also know that God has set eternity in the hearts of men, as the scripture says. We know, in our heart of hearts, in other words, that there's more to this life than just this present moment. We need to get that straight, that man is under God's wrath against sin. But notice here, how does Moses react to that truth? A death is not natural. Death is a result of sin. What does Moses say in response to that in verse 12? It's interesting. He says, he prays really, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. That's interesting. Why? Because... Friends, if, 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 I, if I'm faced with death, I know it's going to occur, as Moses says here. Man is fragile. You know, life is short. Death is certain. What am I going to pray in the face of that? Well, if it was me, I might pray, God, give me a longer life. Uh, God, please, would you give me some miracle cure so that I can overcome this sickness in my life? God, would you please remove suffering and misery in my life? You know, those are things that I might pray in my sinful nature, right? But that's not what Moses prays here. Moses prays for wisdom, a heart of wisdom. He asked the Lord to help him count his days, to be self-aware, to know how to live in this world that is filled with suffering, that is filled with misery. Moses doesn't want to live like he's going to live forever. He wants to live with the knowledge of how to die well to how to live wisely, knowing he is mortal. He doesn't want a stress-free life. He doesn't want it just an extension on life. He asks God to make, help him make choices that would glorify God while he does have breath on God's green earth. To live each day really as if it's his last for God's glory. That's Moses' prayer here. And that's what it means to live an authentic and full life. As a Christian, to live an authentic and full life does not mean all your problems go away. It doesn't mean that all the stresses go away. It doesn't mean that you have health, wealth, and prosperity. No, the Christian life doesn't magically teleport you out of trouble. But it does bring God into your life of trouble. What Moses is praying here is, God, please enter into my life, into my heart, so I know how to face any of these problems in my life. That's what he says. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And when you live with a heart of wisdom, wisdom to cope with days and maybe years of hardship, it's possible that God will establish the work of your hands, as Moses says in verse 17. God will give you the wisdom to make the right choices, to make the right, uh, to bless the work that you have been given in the time you've been given on this earth. So how are you going to live with the time that you've got? That's really the question. How are you going to live in 2024? If God gives you the rest of the days of this year, how are you going to use that time? I pray to have a heart of wisdom, to use it wisely. 
Someone once said, uh, it matters very little how we die, but it matters very much how we live. And you could die any number of ways. It doesn't really matter in the end. You're going to be dead. But how you live each day of your life matters. Do you know how most people spend their lives on average? Moses says here we have 70, maybe, maybe 80 years to live. Do you know the average person who lives to be 70, what they spend their time on? Let me tell you. 70-year-old man has spent an average of 24 years sleeping, 14 years working, 8 years in enter- using entertainment, 6 years at the dinner table, 5 years some sort of transportation, 4 years in conversation, 3 years in education, 2 years in studying and reading. His other 4 years spent in miscellaneous pursuits And of those four years, 45 minutes in church on Sundays and five minutes were devoted to prayer each day. That uh, adds up to a not-so-impressive total of five months that he gave to God over his 70 years of life. Five months. And even if this man had been a faithful churchgoer who attended Sunday school and three one-hour services per week, he would still have only spent one year and nine months in church, over 70 years of his life. So when I hear that, when you hear that, I hope each one of us can sit down, take time, figure out, how have you, how have I been using the time that God has given to us? How large of a portion of it is given over to the things of God, things related to God in our very short time here on earth. Think about that. When Moses says here, when he prays in verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. 2024, pray that prayer. Lord, teach me to number my days that may gain a heart of wisdom to use the time that you've given to me. So you've got 358.5 days remaining in this year. How are you going to spend them? Perhaps the wisest way you can live on this psalm, based on this psalm, is to think more about how you can spend the time with God that he has given you and how much time goes to our social media when we could be reading our Bible or praying. How much of our time goes to watching movies and TV shows when we could be reading a good devotional book? How much time do we spend taking care of our physical bodies instead of our souls? You know, it's not wrong to enjoy media, enjoy movies, enjoy TV shows, exercise, good food, all those things. But what Moses is asking us to do here is really take stock of where are our priorities? Because the fact is, when we reach the end of this life, None of us is going to wish that we had one more scroll through social media. When you reach the end of your life, preparing to meet your maker, you're not going to wish that you could watch one more movie. Uh, When you reach the end of your life, whether it's sudden or it's long, and if you're a Christian, what you will have longed for, what you will long for is that you had spent more time with God on this side of heaven. Tasting a piece of heaven now 
when you will enjoy God for all eternity. So, Lord, teach us to number our days, to use our time wisely, to help us to use that for his glory. Now, we started off this psalm. Moses has really humbled us, seeing God's eternality, also humbled us in our fragility to see how short our lives are. And death is certain. It's unnatural. But then Moses is going to leave us here with some hope. Doesn't walk, want us just walking away with gloom and doom. He wants to show you the light at the end of the tunnel here. And that's what he gives us in the final verses here, verses 13 through 17. This is really his prayer, our prayer, for God's favor. Now put your eyes on this again in verses 13 through 17. It's interesting what Moses does here. You compare it with the other half of the psalm. Because what Moses does in the last half is what he really, he's drawing contrasts between these two parts of the psalm. He's going to draw contrasts with these things that came before, with what he says at the end here in this prayer. Notice, for example, first of all, God in verse 3 had rebuked mankind. He says, return, O children of man. But what does Moses say in verse 13 in his prayer? How does he pray? He says, return, O Lord, asking the Lord to show his mercy. Or in verse 9, Moses said, for all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. But then he contrasts that in verses 14 and 15, and he prays that all our days can be joyful under God's favor. He says, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Do you see the contrast there? But then the climax of the contrast comes at the very end here. What Moses described as fragile, as perishable, as fading, as quickly gone in verses 3 through 12, Moses then contrasts here with all of 13 through 17, but particularly verse 17, he says, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, he repeats it again, establish the work of our hands. You know, establish is being fixed, immovable, right? In contrast to what perished very quickly earlier in the psalm, what is Moses doing here? What is Moses doing here when he prays for the favor of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God in the face of death as a punishment for sin? You know what he's doing? All these contrasts are asking God to reverse this curse that is upon us. He's saying, God, please relent. Please turn back, in other words. All of this suffering that we have endured. Please turn back your curse against sin. Roll it back. This is the confidence that Moses can pray here. This is the perspective that he can have going forward in life. That as dark as things may seem, the light at the end of the tunnel is that God promises to redeem his people. He promises to roll back all those dark things that one day all of the wrong things will be made right. That one day in your life as God's brother or God's son or daughter, 
all those bad things will have seemed like a dream. Your life might be short like a dream, but one day, all the blackness, all the darkness of your life will be rolled back by God. He will relent. And all the afflictions we suffered will have seemed momentary. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory. Why? Because as Moses says here, God will relent and turn back. So friends, notice this, because God can reverse the curse. He is the light at the end of the tunnel. And so as a Christian, take that with you into this year that you possess a hope that even though you die, you shall rise again with the everlasting Lord. Even though you die, he shall bring you into everlasting life. Even though you die, death will be reversed just as it was for Jesus himself. Jesus's life on this earth was not 70 or 80 years, was it? It was perhaps at the most 33 or 34. And yet he suffered more than any other person who lived. And Jesus is our forerunner. He suffered the curse of death, although he was without sin. But he was given new life. That death, the shortness of three days, was over. And now he has risen and is at God's right hand forever, enjoying life with God the Father in his glorified state and his humanity, a picture of what you and I are promised. And in this Psalm 2, because the message of the gospel is that Jesus died on the cross on our behalf, because of his sacrifices for us, we have hope, we have light for life after death and even joy right now. Friends, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory. As verse 15 says, similarly here in our psalm, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. That one day in your glorified body, looking face to face at the risen Lord Jesus, you will have gladness for untold number of days, a bliss that can only come from dwelling in the presence of an eternal and unchangeable God who is your refuge, who is your strength, even in our fragility of life that reminds us of how fragile we are. He is your home. And so, friends, what I want to leave you with today, to borrow from the Heidelberg Catechism, That as a Christian, your only comfort, your only comfort in life and in death is that you're not your own, but you belong body and soul to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The reality of death must move you closer to him. He will hold you fast. So friends, my prayer for you, my prayer for myself, for this church, 2024, for the rest of your life, really, is that you maintain this perspective. Life is short. Death is certain. But ask God to teach you to number your days, to give you a heart of wisdom, to how to live every single one of them for his glory, 
fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. May that be your prayer this year in 2024. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for these words. We thank you that you've spoken through your servant Moses to us today. And now we ask, Father, as that we move into this year, that you would help us to not just be hearers of these words, but to be doers of these words as well. Give us this hope of everlasting life, which you have promised to us in Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.